Hebrews chapter 3. Would you turn to Hebrews chapter 3? On our communion Sundays, we like to go through the book of Hebrews to study the person and the work of Jesus Christ. Hebrews chapter 3. Manny, is it me or am I hot? Is this... Is the AC running? Because I'm hot. Right, now. I didn't even start yet. Hebrews chapter 3, verses 1 to 6. Therefore, holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling, consider Jesus the apostle and high priest of our confession. He was faithful to him who appointed him, as Moses also was in all his house. For he has been counted worthy of more glory then Moses, by just so much as the builder of the house, has more honor than the house. For every house is built by someone, but the builder of all things is God. Now Moses was faithful in all his house as a servant for testimony of those things which were to be spoken later. But Christ was faithful as a son over his house, whose house we are, if we hold fast our confidence, and the boast of our hope firm unto the end. We were uh, preparing for the memorial service. We were at Andre and Marlo's house eating fried chicken. That's what you do. <laughs> right. And I was just curious. I just wanted to know some stories about Uncle Jose. I wanted to know what he was like before Christ and what he was like after. And Marlo was telling me stories. It's just, you can't, you can't even believe it because if you know Uncle Jose, he is so tender. His life was so changed. He was so fixed and focused even at his age. He made strides to grow in Christ even at his older age. Uncle Jose uh, she would say, he was always saying, Marlo, why are you going to this Bible, Bible, right? Why are you looking at the Bible all the time? Why are you always going to church? Why are you always doing these things? And then Marlo would share the gospel and say, Dad, it says right here. What does it say? And he goes, ah, I don't want to hear. I don't want to hear. I don't want to hear that. And he didn't want to hear it. And he didn't want to go to church, Marlo was telling me, because he didn't want people to ask him to go to Bible study, much like what we do all the time, right? We're always asking. He didn't want people to get in his life. He didn't want people to ask him questions. He didn't want any of that, right? He was stuck in his ways. He, was, he thought he had a conception of God. He was getting mixed up by one of the cults who was trying to change his mind about the deity of Christ. And he was stuck in his ways. And what's amazing is... There was this complete shift and turnaround. What you saw in Jose is when he started to come to church, and she said, why do you want to come to church? And, and Marlo goes, wait a minute, because she could tell there was a change in the attitude, a change in the heart. Something had changed. And this is what happens in every Christian. Their heart is softened by the glory of Jesus Christ. They all of a sudden know, I don't know anything. They all of a sudden know, I need to come. That's what it means to come like a child. 
I need to humble myself. That's one of the start, starting marks of a Christian. They are humbled. They finally figure out they are sinful before Christ. And now they need to know how, what to do about him. And so, and so Jose, he said, yeah, I want to go now. Then he started to go into home fellowship. And all of a sudden, you see this guy make a beeline to Christ. He's there at every Sunday school. He's there eating it up at discipleship. He starts to go to prayer meetings. He is just hungry, and you just see his faith take off. He starts discipling people. And Jose, he didn't like children before. I'm sorry, grandkids. You couldn't even tell because he's so tender. He was so tender with them. His whole life changed, and he made strides to grow in Christ. He dropped his old ideas of who God was, his wrong ideas. His idolatry. He had pagan idols all over his house. Right? Got rid of them. Right? Why? Because he saw the preeminence, the superiority of Jesus Christ. He was wrong. That's what you were before Christ. You were wrong. Your ideas of him was wrong. You had to be changed. Your mind has to be Rearrange, that's what repentance means, metanoia, change of mind. And so, some of this happens immediately. Some of this happens during a course of time as you're under the instruction of God's word. This is what's happening here in the book of Hebrews. Because apart from the revelation of God, of the Son and his preeminence, man would cling to old beliefs of traditions and works-based religion. He's just going to cling to it. Man is always religious. Yes, he is. He's religious about certain things, right? He's either religious about himself or he's religious about false views of God, but he's always religious. Or if he's come to know Christ, he now has a relationship with him. But see, Christ is over and above all other persons and viewpoints, perspectives, opinions, and belief systems. Only he has the authority on spiritual truth, which is evidenced by his work and his person. People say, I've, gone, I've died and I've come back to heaven, and I've come back, really? Show me that. Or have you been dead three days? Tell me about heaven. You don't know anything about heaven. Christ does. He was up in heaven and he came back. It, tell me Buddha, tell me, what, tell me what's the truth. How do I get to nirvana? You don't know, you died. Right? Christ is over and above all. And this is what the writer of Hebrews is talking about. See, God gave this passage so that you would look to Jesus above any and other person, any other person, or any other belief system. That he would be the measure of truth. Jesus says what in John 14, 6? I am the way, the truth, and the life. He is above all. When Jesus speaks, he is right. He is the determiner of truth. He, he determines what you ought to believe. He has the authority. All authority has been given to him. He sits at the right hand of the Father. And as I was preparing for this sermon, this sermon is really top-heavy. I think I'm just going to be in the intro. I don't even think I'm going to get to my points, but let's try, okay? 
Notice in chapter 3, verses 1 through 6. And before we, before we talk about this, what is happening is that the writer of Hebrews is writing to, he, to Jewish people who just became Christians. And they want to know, how does this transition work? What do I throw out? What do I keep? What's the discontinuity? What's the continuity between the Old and New Testaments? And so he is writing to them because some of them are still playing with the thought, oh, maybe I'm actually saved by works of the law. Maybe if I'm good enough, God's going to save me. When the Bible all over says that is not true. But what governs chapters, uh, verses 1 through 6, is this little tiny phrase, or actually I would say just two words. And I want to kind of weigh in on two words, okay? And the word here is uh, consider Jesus. Consider Jesus. Now, this word consider, the reason why I say it, it governs everything. Why should we consider Jesus? Or, uh, what is the reasons for considering him? It governs all of the whole text. When we say the word consider, we, it's kind of a misunderstanding in, in, in the Bible. The word consider in English is kind of like a soft kind of discover your options kind of thing, you know. I'm going to do yogurt land on college, and I consider the flavors. Do you see what I'm saying? It's kind of like a, a soft decision, no bearing, no real weight on it. Take it or leave it. That's not what the text, that's not what the word means uh, here in the New Testament. The word, therefore, consider means to notice. It means to observe. It means to look and consider. It means to contemplate. It means to think about very carefully. And so the press that we want, but my prayer is for your hearts, and you remember this is written to Christians, for this is just, sometimes when we say consider Jesus, Christians will say, oh, this is just for non-Christians. No, this is for you as well. Is my view of Christ biblical? Did you know you can't worship Christ if your view of him is not biblical? The more biblical you think of Christ, the more you can worship Christ because he desires to be worshipped in spirit and truth. So if your view of Christ is inaccurate, your worship of Christ is inaccurate. And so what, what the Bible is saying here is all of us, all of us need to consider to contemplate, to think very, very carefully of who this Christ is. He is to be the measure. He is to be the source. He is to be the fount of your life. This word is used in Luke chapter 12 where he says, Consider the ravens, for they neither sow nor reap. Remember when Jesus say, says that? Consider the lilies of the field. They are dressed far better than what Solomon wears, right? And so what Jesus is saying in that text is, think about it. Think long and hard. God supplies your needs just as he supplies nature's needs, right? That's what he's saying. And so now we are taking that word, Hebrews is taking that word, and he's saying, 
He's saying, you need to think and dwell and soak in this. What? Rules? Laws? Morality? Principles? No, a person. Jesus. Now, there's this call. Notice it says, Therefore, holy brethren, partakers of a heavenly calling. It is very clear, okay? The word there, holy, means is is hagios. It's from the root hagios. It means saints, called out ones. And then he talks about brethren. He is talking to the Christians. Christians sometimes get it wrong. Christians sometimes don't know what they, they think they know, but they don't know about Christ completely. They've not considered him. They've not grown enough. You've got to grow in Christ. This is what considering means, right? Now, Christians, he's saying these are partakers. There are some implications even before we even continue. What are these implications? There are implications for me to consider Christ. There are certain things that need to take place. And I've been restricting myself to the book of Hebrews so we don't have to bounce so far, okay? The first implication, how can I consider Christ? I know Jesus. He is my Lord and Savior. I trust only in Him for my righteousness. I trust only in Him and His work for my salvation. Very first thing is, in order for you to consider Christ, you need to satisfy your heart in sweet communion. Okay? Satisfy your heart in sweet communion. Are we out of notes, Manny? You can pass that. Does anyone want notes? Okay. Uh, Luigi. Yes, got your name right. <laughs> Anyone else? Rach, over there. I can call her Rach. That's my sis. <laughs> All right. Satisfy your heart in sweet communion. Notice, uh, I have this point f uh, further down the list, and I said, no, I can't do anything unless I'm satisfying myself in Christ. Do you know, as a Christian, you are called to come and to draw near to him. You are called to rest in the joy and the communion and reminding yourself that you are forgiven in Christ. I got to know that every day. I got to know that every morning. I am not a perfect man. I am a sinful man. I am redeemed, yes. But I have to go to the foot of the cross every morning because I can't get up. Notice Hebrews Chapter 4. Hebrews chapter 4. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, who? Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. What does that mean? It's not going into a box. That's not what it means. And talking to some man through a veil. The confession is a set of beliefs about the Son of God, Jesus Christ, but that we all hold in common. That we all acknowledge to be true. Okay, That's what confession is. 
We do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, amen, but one who has been tempted in all things as we are, yet without sin. If this is true of you, Christian, verse 16, therefore, let us draw near with confidence, amen. Oh, I love that. Not in fear, okay. Not in hope that I, I, I don't know if he's going to listen to me. I come in full confidence. Why? He is the high priest. He paid my debt already. Now I could come into. It's kind of like when I'm, I'm studying. I don't think my kids care if I'm studying. They don't care. And that's okay, right? They just jump on me. Okay? Why? They have full confidence in my love. Does that make sense? Full confidence, right? Child of God, you have full confidence. When you're in trouble, notice, to the throne of grace so that we may, we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. When you are struggling, when it's hard, when you don't think you could go on, there is a throne of grace you could weep at. You could pour yourself at. You could give yourself to. And he will hear you. Christ does not just save you and forgive you of your sins. He will help you through the day. But you must come to him and have your heart full of joy and grace in Jesus. This is why a lot of Christians, a lot of Christians don't walk in this. Because they don't come before the throne of grace. They're cantankerous, complaining all the way down to school or to work or all the way down in, in their families. They're just complaining, complaining, complaining. Man, you think the world wants to look at your life, complainer, and become a Christian? But no. We could satisfy our hearts in him. Look at Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10. How do you... Consider Jesus. Well, you got to satisfy your heart in sweet communion with him. Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 19. Therefore, brethren, since we have confidence to enter, he says, this is the same kind of motif here, same theme. The holy place by the blood of Jesus. What he's talking about is Christ sacrificed himself and his blood paid for our sins by a new and living way which he inaugurated for us through the veil that is his flesh. And since we have a great high priest through the house of God, verse 22, again, let us draw near with what? Sincere heart, full assurance of faith. Why? Having our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. I come to Christ knowing that I've been washed from my sins. Brothers and sisters, please, let me, let me, I beg you, this is where it all starts, okay? If you're struggling, if you're in sin, confess your sin. If you've not been walking with him, get alone with Christ. He wants to meet you and fill your heart once again. Amen? Satisfy your heart in sweet communion, how do you consider Jesus? How do you consider Jesus? Well, secondly, you release your allegiance to prior beliefs. 
release your allegiance to prior beliefs. Why do I say that? You can't believe what Jesus is teaching you unless you release your, and, and you admit that you were wrong. You've got to release it, okay? Um, look, at, uh, look at Hebrews chapter 13. Hebrews chapter 13. And this is how do you apply consider Jesus? If I just said consider Jesus and just walked around, you'd say, okay, well, that's good, Angelo. Amen, brother. Let's go have pizza, right? But let's sit and think, how do you apply this? You've got to release your allegiance to prior beliefs. That's what happened to Jose. He, Marlo was telling me he didn't want to come to Christ because Marlo is younger than him and he is older. Okay? I'm older. I should know. You get it? Right? And in our culture, that's really strong. What is a young person telling me? What? Right? Release your allegiance to prior beliefs. Look at chapter 13 and verse 7. Chapter 13, verse 7. He says, remember those who led you, who spoke the word of God to you. They taught you, okay? You had to receive it. Consider the result of their conduct, their lifestyle. Imitate their faith. How do you know if you want to be in a church? What do they believe and how do they live? That's what you got to look at. What do they believe and how do they live? Are they living a, are they living a life that's single-minded, focused on Christ, right? Then it says Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Verse 9. Here it is, okay? Do not be carried away by varied and strange teachings, for it is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace, not by foods through which those who are so occupied were not benefited. And they're talking about they think there were special foods you had to eat. So he's saying here, don't, he says, to nourish yourself on Christ and the teachings of Christ and do not be carried away by false doctrine, wrong interpretations, bad teachings. You know, it's, it's amazing, like, you come to Christ, there are things that are corrected right away in your life when you become a Christian. And then there are things that you have to learn. It's, it's amazing. As, as I'm growing in the faith, someone will say something or I will be taught in a class or something or I'll hear it in preaching or in discipleship or over a cup of coffee and I'll say, I never thought of that in that way. Why? What is God doing? He is sanctifying my view of him so that I can, can consider Jesus again. I could look hard at him again. I could contemplate him as the center of my life. Right? You got to release allegiance to your prior beliefs. No matter who held them before. Do you understand? No matter if it was your cultural tradition or religion before. I, I think one of my friends got shocked when I told him. And I, I may offend some people, but... He said, we need to be, he, he's a professing believer, and he said, we need to be like Mother Teresa. She was so good. And yes, she did. Did she do good? Yeah, she did good in Calcutta. 
But Mother Teresa, if she didn't turn to Christ, she's in hell. That's what the gospel says. All the good works cannot be measured against the perfection of Christ. Okay? And so you have to, and he goes, huh, I never thought about that. Yes, you need to think about that. She is not a model simply because she's Mother Teresa. She's not a model to have your life over. You need to throw away those old teachings. Why? She didn't even believe in the gospel. She thought you could be saved if you believe, if you believe sincerely in any other religion. And he goes, huh, I never thought about that. I said, you need to think about that before you extol someone as a model of faith. Her faith was in the wrong thing, right? Thirdly, thirdly, to consider Jesus, you have to humble your attitude to a teachable mind. You will not, brothers and sisters, let me tell you, no matter how smart you are, no matter how intelligent you may have, you may, you may be, you will not learn unless your heart is softened to receive the things from, uh, from, from the scriptures, right? Look at uh, Hebrews chapter 13. Hebrews chapter 13. Verse 17. Notice, obey your leaders and submit to them, for they keep watch over your souls as those who will give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with grief, for this would be unprofitable for you. I'm not going to talk about the abuses in the church of who might have abused this verse. I understand that. But the text is saying here, if your leaders are following in Christ, and if they are obeying Christ, and they want you to grow in Christ, he says, submit to them. They keep watch over your soul. Be teachable. Be humble. Because they will give an account. Let them do this with joy, not with grief. It's going to be unprofitable for you. And I can tell you, brothers and sisters, there's, I, we talked about this last Sunday. There are two ways to learn, right? You remember that? You could learn by instruction and you can learn by experience, right? And sadly, there are many times I did learn by experience when God had to take me to the woodshed. And spank me. Right? And I said, I'm not doing that anymore. But now let me, when the temptation or something happens when I'm being instructed, let me meet it now instead with a humble attitude. Rather than, and, and cause joy rather than grief. Right? Consider Jesus. It's all Hebrews, right? This is all Hebrews. Satisfy your heart in sweet communion. Release your allegiance to prior beliefs. Humble your attitude to a teachable mind. Bridle your spirit. Next one is bridle your spirit to an obedient life. You can't consider Jesus if you don't want to obey him. You can't contemplate him. You can't make him the center of your life if you don't want to obey. If you see the scripture and you don't want to do it. And if you don't start obeying, you're not going to grow. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 5. Go to Hebrews chapter 5. Hebrews chapter 5. 
and verse 12. Hebrews chapter 5 and verse 12. Notice he says, For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you have need again for someone to teach you the elementary principles of the oracles of God. And you have come to need milk and not solid food. Verse 12. The writer of Hebrews is saying this. You should have grown up by now. What were you doing? Were you wasting your time? You should have grown up by now. You're not listening. Right? He says, For everyone who partakes only of milk is not accustomed to the word of righteousness, for he's a babe. Verse 14. This is how you grow. This is one of the key means of considering Christ in your growth in Christ. Solid food is for the mature who because of practice, practice of what? Obedience in Christ, right? Have their senses trained to discern good and evil. You don't even know what's good and evil unless you are following a path of obedience. Your senses aren't even trained to understand this. See, some, a lot of people think that their conscience is the barometer of what is good and what is evil, of what is right and what is wrong. It is only part, but it is twisted. We have to be calibrated back to the Word of God. And when the Word of God calibrates our conscience and we start to obey, we become more and more attuned to the holiness of God, how God would cause, cause us to live. It's kind of like before I was saved, I used to curse like a sailor. And now when I hear, now when I hear a, foul, a foul mouth or a blasphemous mouth, I, it stings. It stings why? Not because I'm better than them. That's not the reason why. It's simply because now God has trained me that those wicked things coming out of that mouth, blaspheming Christ, is dishonorable to him. And so now I'm attuned to it. It's because I've been obeying in this way by watching my tongue, right? And the more and more you obey Christ, brothers and sisters, the more and more calibrated to actual holiness your life becomes. Isn't that amazing? Consider Jesus. Consider Jesus. You must discipline your days for vital growth. And first, remember I started with being in joyful communion with Christ. Don't try and do all these things without being in joyful communion with Christ. Let me tell you, you're going to die a slow death, right? you got to be with Jesus, be at his feet. And what happens is when you're at his feet, you're going to want to do things for him. You're going to want to grow. You're going to pursue those things that cause you to grow. Look at Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12. In verse 1, therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Notice, he is using the metaphor of a race. The Christian life is a race. It's not a sprint. It's a marathon. That's the way we ought to look at it, okay? There's a great cloud of witnesses. The Bible is saying that there are folks who have gone before us in heaven who, have, who are testifying of their, of their faith because in Hebrews chapter 11, it says that they've done great things with their faith. How did they do it? Well, this, this is how they did it. They disciplined themselves. They laid aside every encumbrance. 
What does that mean? They took away the things that would slow their growth down. They took away the things that would stunt them in their growth. Sometimes these encumbrances aren't even sin itself. Sometimes they're just things that are just not wise to do. What the, what the writer of Hebrews is saying is, if you want to consider Jesus, if you want to grow in Him, take away the things of those life. Discipline your life for godliness. Paul says it again in Timothy. We discipline our lives for so many other things. Right? Discipline yourself for godliness. And then it says what? And the sin. So some of these things are just encumbrances. They slow you down. This is why in a real race, in the Olympics, you don't see um, Usain Bolt when he's going to run that uh, sprint. He doesn't go in a business suit with slippery dress shoes. Do you understand? It will encumber him, even though he's the fastest man on earth, right? It will encumber him. It will slow him down. So they wear all these slick outfits and they look shredded and they're really fast, right? Why? Because they don't want anything to slow them down, right? And then it says, what else does it say? And a sin which so easily entangles us, let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, that means to have a gaze, a complete gaze on him. I'm not going to let anything block me. Yes, I am not saying this is for super Christians. This is for every Christian, brother and sisters. This is not for Paul or Barnabas. This is not for pastors or missionaries. This is for every Christian. Walk and chase after him. And the sin which so easily entangles us. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and then sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Next, how do you consider Jesus? How do you consider Jesus? Commit your life to vibrant believers. Commit your life to vibrant believers. Notice, and just to get a little bit of grammar in here, in Hebrews chapter 3 and verse 1, Therefore, holy brethren, partakers of a heavenly calling, consider Jesus. That is in, it's not in the first person singular. That is in the second person plural. Okay. We don't even have that in English anymore. Second person plural. Okay. The closest to it would be like the southern y'all. All y'all, right? Or if you speak Spanish or a Romance language, it might be like ustedes, right? All of you guys, right? I want, I'm speaking to all of you, not one person. Okay. So what he's saying is, when you consider Jesus, you do this in a part of a body. When you run after Jesus, you do this together. It's not you consider Jesus by yourself in the desert. Do you see what I'm saying? It's consider Jesus, y'all consider Jesus. You understand? You all consider Jesus. He does it again. Look, look at it. As you commit yourself to vibrant believers. Look at Hebrews chapter 10. 
Hebrews chapter 10. And verse 23, here it is, okay? You could see the plurality a little bit better here. And he says, Hebrews chapter 10, verse 23, let us, all of us, okay? Not let one person, let the pastor. Let all of us hold the confession of our hope without wavering, for he promised is faithful. Then he uses the same word with the same voice. That's what it's called in grammar, right? Second person plural. Let us, let us, y'all, all together consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds. This is why we believe in church membership. We have to be committed to one another, right? Not forsaking our own assembling together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the new drawing near. For if we go on sinning willfully after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins. He says, you must do this in the context of the local church. You're not supposed to be a monk in some cave. You're not supposed to be a lone ranger Christian. See, in, in American evangelicalism, we think there's a lone ranger Christians. Barring illness, some folks think they could live the Christian life watching YouTube. Tell me, are you encouraging one another? Are you considering to love and good deeds? Are you stimulating one another to, to consider how, do, how are we going to do this? How are we going to serve these people? You can't do that without the context of a local church. Do you understand? And that's why we believe in church membership. You have to commit yourself to a life to vibrant believers. And all this to say, all this to say, that the Christian is called to consider Christ. Now, I have hardly any time. Let's see, how are we going to do this? All right. Maybe I'll finish this next Sunday, but um, I'll just finish with this. God is calling you, Christian, to consider Christ. Now, we've talked about how you are to consider Jesus, and then later on we're going to talk about what are the reasons to consider Jesus why is he superior to other belief systems? Why is he his superiority? Uh, and, in the, and in the scriptures, there are four superiorities of Jesus which merit your careful thought and consideration to order all of your thoughts, all of your desires, all of your emotions to be subservient to him. He is over all. See, some people can't hear that. Well, I believe this, but the Bible says this. Well, he must be wrong. That is just false. You need to humble yourself to the word of God. That's what it means to consider Jesus. Because when you say that, you're not simply saying, I disagree on this finer point of theology. You're saying, I disagree with Jesus. Do you understand? You're not contemplating his worth, his glory. So, let's turn. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you. Help us to keep Christ over all in our lives. We pray, Father, that you would do that work.
thank you for Communion Sunday. I, I hope this was, my prayer is that we would be encouraged that Jesus is right, I'm wrong. He knows what he's talking about. He's revealed my sin. Help me to grow in this. I pray, Father, that uh, you would sweeten the time as we commune with you. In Jesus' name, amen.